0: Acts chapter 1, today is a very special day on the church calendar, today is the day known as Pentecost, and it's a day where we commemorate the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church, and so there's reason to celebrate today, because without the Holy Spirit there is no church people, I'll tell you what, at least it doesn't function, that's for sure. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift of the Father. So we're going to just talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit today. And I want you to begin to cultivate in your hearts a a spirit of praise and a spirit of celebration. There's reason to celebrate today. And there's certain events on the church calendar, I mean church universal, that are important and momentous. And today is one of them, the day of Pentecost. And so if it's not already in you, you ought to begin to cultivate a spirit of celebration today. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the day that you poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church and the fruit of that, that the gospel went forth and we are results of that going forth. We have heard the gospel. We've responded. We have been saved. Maybe even today some will hear and be saved. And that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're just so thankful for it, Lord. And I pray that today you give us a greater understanding Any place where there's uncertainty and unclarity, you would bring clarity. You you would give us your sure word today. And the Holy Spirit, you would come and teach us of yourself. Jesus said about you, Holy Spirit, that you're the teacher of all things. I'm not, you are. And so that you would come and teach us about yourself. We want to know more about you, Holy Spirit. We confess that there are depths to plummet that we haven't even imagined. We haven't even just barely touched the tip of the iceberg, I believe, with the way that you would like to move on this coastline. As a Holy Spirit, we have the boldness by the grace of Jesus to ask for more of you in our lives. And let that start today. As we learn about you, do a wonderful, sweet work in our hearts. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, today is Pentecost. And the word Pentecost is a strange word. You might wonder what it means. It comes from the Greek word that means 50th. And that is because Pentecost on the Christian calendar comes on the 50th day after Easter. Okay, so we're just 50 days or so after Easter right now. And the reason why that time frame is as it is, is because after Jesus rose from the dead, Easter, He hung around for 40 days before His ascension. And then just prior to His ascension, He told His disciples to hang around for a few days until they received the Holy Spirit coming upon them, the promise of the Father. And they hung around, we know, for ten days. And so we have a period of fifty days from when Jesus rose from the dead until when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church total of 50 days. And the Christian celebration of Pentecost aligns with a Jewish celebration of the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. And we've talked about that in previous lessons. We're not going to cover that today. But it was this event, Pentecost, that we're going to look at in a moment that happened about 1,975 years ago that caused the church to be birthed. Today is really the proper birth date of the church, so to speak. It's when we remember it in that way. And the reason we call it the birth date of the church is by way of the fact of why the church exists. The church exists for mission. That is to carry out the mission of God. And that is sometimes encapsulated in something we call the great Commission. right? We are on a co-mission with God. It's His mission, but He calls us co-laborers with Him. We have been commissioned into His work. And that is, as outlined in Matthew chapter 28, to go to all the nations and make disciples of them for Jesus Christ. And the church exists for that mission. And what's interesting, and why today is so important, is because that mission could not be embarked upon. That mission had no hope of being fruitful. That mission had no chance of going forward until the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people of the church. And then the church could engage in its missional purpose in the world. So let's just get a little background info now. As we start to read in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read a little bit, and then a little bit in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is Luke writing. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He's talking about the Gospel of Luke. Okay, This is the second book that Luke Wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, until the day when Jesus was taken up, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, Jesus said, you have heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel?" And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but, okay, here's what they should know. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So here we see very clearly that Jesus gave instructions to the disciples just before his ascension that they were not to do any ministry until they received power. They weren't to engage in mission. They couldn't be witnesses of Jesus until they received the power. And so he said, listen, I just want you to wait here in Jerusalem. And then once you receive the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the power that accompanies that, then and only then you will be my witnesses. Both in your local area, Jerusalem, and the surrounding area, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Then you will go forth in mission when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now that came a few days later, about ten days later, in Acts chapter 2. And we'll just read what happened. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, you've got to get this picture. This day aligns, as I said previously, with the Jewish Feast of Shavuot, as outlined in Leviticus 23, the Feast of Weeks. And this was one of the three weeks on the biblical Jewish calendar where every Jewish male, 18 or older, had to appear in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And so, of course, they would have been accompanied by their families and so on and so forth. And so, generally speaking, you could say that all of Israel were gathered in Jerusalem at this time. Hundreds of thousands, if not 2.5 million, as Josephus, the historian, says. Gathered in little tiny Jerusalem. It is just hustling and bustling and overflowing with this Jewish celebration that marked the beginning of the harvest time. But then there's 120 that are gathered in a little upper room, the disciples of Jesus Christ. And they're waiting on the Lord. They're there praying and just waiting on the Lord because Jesus said to wait until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they're there waiting. And they're they're waiting with expectancy of what the Lord might do. And we're told that in, in the midst of all this hustle and bustle and these hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem upon these select few, 120, the Holy Spirit falls. And it says that the Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind. And that all of a sudden, there's little flames of fire. like They look like little tongues above each one of their heads. Just a, a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon them. And then they began to speak in other tongues. Now, there were people, if you go on to read in chapter 2 later, gathered from all sorts of different areas, and they heard the disciples speaking in their own dialects. That is the dialects of those who had traveled to Jerusalem that normally the disciples would not have known. All of a sudden, the disciples started speaking in those dialects, and they were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. They were declaring who the Lord is, and they were worshiping God in the midst of all these people. And that was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church of Jesus Christ the day of Pentecost. And what I want us to do now is just talk a little bit about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how He relates to the mission of the Christian church. Here's what we're going to cover. The who, what, why, and how Of the Holy Spirit. The who, what, why, and how of the Holy Spirit. The first part, the who part, is very important. A lot of people think that the Holy Spirit is an it. They refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Some people think that the Holy Spirit is a force. Some of the bigger cults think this. That it's an impersonal force. But Scripture declares that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a he. He. In fact, Scripture declares that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. A member of the Godhead. God, the Spirit. And, and so we've got to get that straight in our theology. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is not an impersonal force. It is a He. A member of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is personal and active and knowable. We can know the Holy Spirit and know about and understand the workings of the Holy Spirit. So that's a very basic who. Now what about the what's? The what's. First thing I want to bring to your attention is that in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father. He said, wait for that which the Father has promised. Listen to me. God is our Father and God is good. Amen? Amen. And our God is a God who keeps His promises. Amen? Amen. And so out of the good heart of the Father for His children come good things. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God's a giver. He expresses His love through giving. What more could He give than Himself, God the Son? Right? And so he gave of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And then after that now, Jesus says, okay, there's one more thing that the Father has for you. Comes from the heart of the Father for his children. It's a promise. It hasn't come yet. But your wonderful Father who loves you so much and is absolutely faithful promises to you. The person of the Holy Spirit. Wait for it. Trust me, he says, guys, you don't want to do anything without the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. It comes from the wonderful heart of the Father, and it's a good thing for the children of God. The second thing that we want to know about the Holy Spirit is that He is the power for both Christian living and for Christian mission. Notice that it said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Now, to be a witness of Jesus Christ does not merely mean to verbally testify of who He is. That is a part of it. But to be a witness of Jesus Christ, really the core component of it is to represent Him in His character. That is to be like Jesus. It's been said before that you, you might be somebody's only encounter with who Jesus Christ is. All that they know of Jesus Christ may come from your example to them. That's a heavy thing. That's a gnarly thing. We've got no hope of doing any good at that at all without the presence, the power, and the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there is a work that happens in our lives to transform us into the image of Jesus. And now we're witnesses for Him. And that is the Christian mission, to represent Jesus Christ. That is why we are still on the earth. Listen to me. If your little body is warming one of those soft, comfortable seats right now, it's because God has a mission for you. On this earth. He's not finished with you yet. If He was finished with you, He would kill you and take you to heaven. Listen, heaven is infinitely more wonderful than earth. And it's the Lord's desire that we might be with Him. That, that's the ultimate destination, is heaven. And so you've got to think if He leaves us in this place, He must have a good reason. Because He wants to be with us. Jesus bled that we might be with the Father, and heaven is better than here. And so, God, why do you have us on earth? For a mission. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and it is to represent Jesus Christ to those who don't know Him. Because there are people that you know and I know that unless they call upon Jesus Christ for forgiveness, they will spend eternity separated from Him. And you and I have the incredible privilege and honor and responsibility of representing the Lord to a lost and dying world. That's a heavy and an awesome and a wonderful thing. And if you still have breath in your lungs, it is for that reason. And the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit is working in your life, he yields what is called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those nine things which are attributes of Jesus Christ. We as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, have those things begin to develop in our life as we interact with the person of the Holy Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, the word is singular in the original. It's not fruits of the Holy Spirit. They're not individual fruits. We like to joke like that, you know. Oh, I've got self-control, but I don't have kindness. Or, or I've got love, but I don't have patience. It doesn't even work. That's contradictory. It's one package. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're all in the process of these things being developed in our lives. We haven't gotten there yet, but we press on. Amen? And it's as we interact with the person of the Holy Spirit. And when He comes upon us and is continually filling us, I'm going to talk about that in a moment, that these things are worked into our lives, this package of the fruit of the Spirit, which is being like Jesus love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. Man, I need more of those in my life. I need more interaction with the Holy Spirit the power for Christian living and for mission. Ephesians 3.20 says this, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything that we ask according to the power that mightily works within us. God is able to do supernatural, extraordinary things through our lives. More than we think. Here's the problem. We often sell ourselves short. We often sell ourselves short. Well, the Lord doesn't want to use me. Not not in any significant way. But the Bible says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything that you ever even think to ask. You you know, the other thing that short circuits that so often is is that Christians become sort of narcissistic. That is to say self-absorbed. And we have a tendency, I believe, in America to make our Christianity about us. All about our well-being and our healing and our this and that. And to a certain degree it is about us. But in the final analysis, Christianity is about God and others. And we often short-circuit the powerful working of the Holy Spirit or circumvent His working in our lives. When we become overly self-absorbed and we don't engage in mission. Or we just sell ourselves short and think, well, God doesn't want to use me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When He's done using you, He'll kill you and take you to heaven. Until then, let this be your mantra. God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything I've ever thought to even ask Him for. According to what? The power that mightily works within us. And that power is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. It is the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. We have that same power available to us. We ought to be pursuing the Holy Spirit. So He is the promise of the Father. He is the power for Christian living and for mission. And thirdly, He is the helper. Please turn to John chapter 14. Just a few pages back from where you are. John 14. John chapter 14, we're going to just look at a few verses here, the words of Jesus. John 14, Jesus speaking, starting in verse 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. If you have the King James, it says comforter, that's all right. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Okay? Look what Jesus says. Jesus here, it's the evening before the cross. He's preparing the people for His departure. And He says, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another helper. That word another in the Greek is alas. It means of equal quality of equal quality, not of less quality, of equal quality, I'm going to give you another helper, because Jesus at this point was their helper. That is the Holy Spirit. Look now in verse 26 of the same chapter. Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So He's called the Helper there again. Look now in verse 26 of chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness of me. Now look at chapter 16, verse 7. Chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So it's very explicit in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is our Helper. If you have the King James, it's translated Comforter. If you have the NIV or the New Living Translation, it's translated Counselor. Same idea. The Greek word is Parakletos parakletos. And it carries all those ideas of a comforter, of a helper, of a counselor. It's one who is called to someone's aid. That's who the Holy Spirit is. One who is called to our aid. One who appears on our behalf. So a mediator, an intercessor, a helper. And Jesus says... That the person of the Holy Spirit is so effective in helping you and I live our Christian lives that it was better for Jesus to leave. Chapter 16, verse 7. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, he's talking about his ascension. If I don't go, the helper will not come. Now, we miss the profundity of that fact because we have not walked three years with Jesus, but the disciples whom he was speaking to at this moment, they had. Can you imagine how profound that sounded in their hearts when Jesus, God draped in humanity, said to them, it's better for me to leave you now so that this helper, the Holy Spirit, can come. That's unbelievable. I mean, that would have been literally unbelievable in their ears. Jesus, we don't ever want you to leave with us. Man, we saw you walk on the water and raise people from the dead. We know that you are God in the flesh. We don't ever want to be apart from you. And Jesus, in his absolute wisdom, says it's better because the Holy Spirit is the perfect help for you as Christians. Don't miss the profundity of that. Any help that we need, any comfort that we need, any aid that we need, any resource that we need can be found in the person of the Holy Spirit. God says He is the perfect helper for you and I to live the Christian life. Now, Jesus also says about the Holy Spirit that He is the teacher of all things. We read that in John 14, verse 26 already. Looking at it again, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And again, he said the same thing in chapter 16, verse 7, that the Holy Spirit was the teacher. So, what does the Holy Spirit teach us? Well, Jesus said all things. He's the teacher of all things, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything having to do with life here, now, and later. Everything having to do with Christianity and all that God would reveal to us is taught to us by the Holy Spirit, who is a person that is knowable and pursuable. So if you want to grow in your Christianity, you ought to be pursuing the person of the Holy Spirit, pursuing intimacy with the Holy Spirit, pursuing increase of relationship with the Holy Spirit, because He is the teacher of all things. Before I read my Bible, i say, Holy Spirit, come instruct me in the word of God. Open my eyes to behold great and wonderful things in thy word. When I'm in an area of life where I'm in a quandary and I don't know what to do, I call upon the Holy Spirit because Jesus said he's the teacher of all things. I say, Holy Spirit, I'm lacking wisdom here. I'm lacking insight. I don't know which way to go. I don't know if I should turn to the right or the left or plow head. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit is that person of the Trinity that speaks to the spirit of you and I. And so when we're wanting to hear from God, be it in his word or prophetically, the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that speaks to us and teaches us. We read in Romans 8.26 that in our weakness, we don't know how to pray as we ought, And so the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray and can give us a prayer language. It goes on to speak about there. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that all those who are the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. And so aren't aren't there in your life, like there's a mind, ambiguities, uncertainties, times of difficulty where we say, God, I really need to hear from you. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to respond. Well, listen, that's when you call upon the Holy Spirit. All who are the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. There's a promise in that scripture. God wants to lead you. He wants to teach you how to pray. He wants to teach you how to walk. He wants to give you wisdom and insight and discernment and make you more like Jesus. And so you call upon the person of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8.15, well, I want to turn there real quick. I'll just read it to you or you can go there. Romans 8.15. It says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery, slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So listen, the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us how to relate to the Father. You know what? A lot of us have a hard time with that. A lot of people have fathers who were absent or fathers who were a disappointment. Fathers who didn't tell you they loved you. Fathers that never expressed affection in various ways. Fathers that let you down, broke your heart, abandoned you, abused you. And so our image of father is marred and that's a scheme of Satan and that's a horrible thing. But Jesus Christ came to redeem all things. And so when we become a Christian, we've got a brand new father. We've got a brand new father, the father who is in heaven, but we don't always know how to relate to him because maybe our, our, our relationship with our earthly fathers is a little funky and so we don't always know how to relate to father. I had an awesome father and so it was very easy for me to relate to God the father. But for some other people and other times there's some difficulty and the Holy Spirit teaches us how to relate. And it says that the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit causing us to cry out Abba, father. Abba is Aramaic for Daddy or Papa. That is the right relation of the child of God to God the Father. We're to call him Papa. And we are to have our image of the Father renewed by the Word of God. Don't, don't refract the image of your messed up earthly father upon your heavenly Father. you got to get rid of it. He was a man. He failed you. Let the Lord heal you. Get your image of who God the Father is by the Holy Spirit teaching you from the Holy Scriptures. And His Spirit will instruct your spirit and bring you to the place of being able to say, Daddy, you're my Papa. Just like my little two-year-old Daisy Love says to me, there's no complication in that relationship. There's no complication. She just goes, Daddy. When I walk through the door at the end of the day, she goes, Nutso. She goes, absolutely nutso. She'll hear me open the door and she knows it's that time of day and no matter what room she's in, I hear, Daddy! And she comes running around the corner and she puts out her arms and she leaps into my arms. My father's heart is just overwhelmed and so stoked at that moment. There's no complication in that. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our hearts to relate to God our Father that we would just cry out unfettered by other junk, Daddy, and just run into his arms, and he's always going to catch us. And he's always there. You don't have to wait for Daddy to come home. You come home. He's waiting for you. It's a person of the Holy Spirit that teaches us how to relate to God as Father. And then in the next verse, Romans 8, 16, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we are indeed children of God because sometimes we get confused on our position. The enemy loves to come in and rip us off of our joy. Have you ever heard anything like this? You call yourself a Christian. You are filthy and foul and unworthy, and God doesn't want anything to do with you. That's the voice of Satan, man. You say no to that voice. And you say yes to the voice of the Spirit of God who teaches us about our position before the Father that we are indeed children of His. And as it says in Ephesians, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are fully accepted and loved and cherished by the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us those things. And so if you're struggling with those concepts, you need to pursue the person of the Holy Spirit. And listen for his voice. 1 John 2.27 says about the Holy Spirit being the teacher of all things. As for you, the anointing, speaking of the Holy Spirit, which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you abide in Jesus. It says there that, that the Holy Spirit uh, gives us an anointing for instruction. Now, now this is indicative of the Holy Spirit, not all Christians. It's not saying that, uh, no, that Christians never need anybody else to teach them. Then why would people have the gift of teaching, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit? Rather, it's indicative of the Holy Spirit who is the teacher of all things. And there is this thing called an anointing. Are you familiar with that phraseology? You know, oh, so-and-so is an anointed teacher or an anointed evangelist, or an anointed worship leader, or an anointed whatever it is, that anointing, an empowering and an instructing comes from the Holy Spirit. And so we need to recognize when you see someone who is moving in an anointing, you need to recognize that that is the Holy Spirit moving through them. And you need to give glory to God and not to that person. That'd be so asinine to give glory to that person. It's not them. It is the anointing from the Holy Spirit. And so God deserves all the glory. Amen? The next thing that we see about the Holy Spirit is that He is the giver of gifts. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. It's just after the book of Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start reading in verse 7. 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. So we see here, when it comes to the spiritual gifts... That the Holy Spirit is the one that gives them to people. They are the gifts of the Spirit. And we don't have time to cover them now. If you have questions, go to our website. And I did a whole teaching series on the gifts of the Spirit. Or find some other good resource and be educated on that. And we'll talk about those at another time. But suffice it to say for right now, the Holy Spirit is a giver of gifts. He is the enabler of you and I for ministry. These gifts are not the normal way that we would think of gifts. We think of gifts like Christmas time when we get presents and they're for us. These gifts are not for us. They're for the building up of the church, it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. They're for the common good of the church. They are gifts given to us to use to bless others. That is what they are for. So oftentimes we just hear gift and we think, oh God, I want that gift. And we think that somehow it's for me or to glorify me or to make me better or more spiritual. It is not for us. They are for others. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural enablings of us to meet overwhelming needs of others. That's what they are. The other gift that the Holy Spirit gives us is the love of the Father. Romans 5 5 says that the love of the Father is poured abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Look how awesome the Holy Spirit is. He gives us gifts to do the work of God, and then He's continually pouring out the love of God into our hearts. Look how awesome the Father is. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. What more could the Father give us than of Himself? In the Holy Spirit, we see that the Father wants us to have power. He wants us to have help at all times. He wants us to have a comforter. He wants us to have an instructor. He wants to give us gifts and abilities. And He wants us to know His love. And these things are all experienced by the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when we speak about the Holy Spirit and we think about the Holy Spirit, we realize that He becomes then to you and I the active member of the Trinity, so to speak. Because He's the one who is doing all these things. Pouring out the love of the Father. Manifesting the presence of God. Working the gifts. Giving the anointing and the empowering and the ability and so on and so forth. And so we think of Him sort of as the active member of the Trinity. Now, The why of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we need to realize is that the Holy Spirit was given to glorify Jesus Christ. I want you to flip back to John real quick because we can't miss this. This is very important. Flip back to John. John 15. John 15, 26. We already read it, but I want you to read it now with the fact in mind that the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. Jesus speaking says in John fifteen twenty six, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Now look what happens when we interact with the Holy Spirit, verse 27. And you will also bear witness of me. Now, look at John 16, verse 14. Jesus speaking to the Holy Spirit says, He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall reveal it to you. And so we see expressly from the words of Jesus that the job of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus because Jesus is King Jesus, amen? He is King Jesus. Now, that's very helpful to us as we seek to discern what is a move of the Spirit and what is not. Because there's a lot of things that claim to be moves of the Spirit, or works of the Spirit, or manifestations of the Spirit. I will tell you very simply how to always know. If it is genuinely the Holy Spirit moving, Jesus will be glorified, period. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit is working, He will bear witness of me and He will glorify me. When the Holy Spirit is moving, people want to know Jesus more. People get saved. People increase in obedience to Jesus in, in following Jesus. Jesus is glorified in the midst of a people when the Holy Spirit is moving. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit glorifies Him and that helps us to discern what is a work of the flesh and a work of the Spirit. Work of the flesh is always going to glorify a person or a people group. Work of the Spirit is going to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, the second why of the Holy Spirit is to convict unbelievers. Just look up a couple of verses uh, to verse 8, John 16, verse 8. Jesus speaking still says, And he, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world. To convict mean to, means to convince, will convince the world concerning sin. Righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they don't believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world, that is Satan, has been judged. And so, when the Holy Spirit is moving, Jesus is going to be glorified, people are going to be convicted. When the Holy Spirit is moving, Jesus is going to be glorified, people are going to be convicted or convinced about sin that they are sinners. About righteousness, that Jesus is righteous and fulfilled the righteous standards of God. And about judgment, because Satan has already been judged and those who reject Jesus Christ follow after Him and will be judged with Him. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts or convinces unbelievers. That's good news for me because I'm called to preach the gospel. And here's what I know is wonderful. And I I take great heart in this every, every every week of my life. I don't have to convince anybody. I speak the truth in love and the Holy Spirit does the work of convincing. That's awesome. I do play a role. I'm to speak the truth in love. But the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. That's wonderful news for you. Because, you know, you're, you're in your workplace or wherever you are, at school, whatever, and you want people to know about Jesus. You feel like you don't always have the words or the ways or whatever. Listen, it's the job of the Holy Spirit. He's a teacher of all things, and he's the only one that them of, can convince them of all these things. All you need to do is live for Jesus. And when given the opportunity, just verbalize it a little bit just verbalize it a little bit. Hey, yeah, man, I love the Lord. I know I don't really, gosh, I can't verbalize it all. I just know that I needed to be saved and he saved me and he died on the cross for my sins and he rose on the third day and he gave me brand new life. That's all I know. That's all you got to do. Romans chapter one, verse 16 says there's power invested in that message and the Holy Spirit works the power and convicts or convinces the people. And the third why of the Holy Spirit is He enables believers. So when the Holy Spirit is moving, Jesus will be glorified, unbelievers will be convicted, and believers will be enabled. Hundreds of times in the Old Testament, it says, And the Holy Spirit came upon David mightily. Or the Holy Spirit came upon Samuel mightily. Or the Holy Spirit came upon Jedediah mightily. Or whoever it was, we see that... When the Holy Spirit came upon a person, they were enabled for a great task. I want to suggest to you that God has a great task in store for your life. Too often Christians miss these things. Or are we misdefined what great is? Great is simply being faithful with the opportunities that God has given you. Maybe it's just one person. One person in your whole life. That's it. And you're to just love them in the name of Jesus Christ. They're your workplace every day. You may not have the words. You may not have an anointing for evangelism, but you belong to Jesus Christ and all that you're supposed to do is represent them in His love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to somebody else. And that is great in the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit enables you to do so. And so when you're feeling weak in those things and unable in those things, Holy Spirit, come and fill me to be able to represent Jesus Christ. I pray it every day of my life. And it's the same thing, Old Testament and New Testament. When the apostles were faced with difficult circumstances, the Holy Spirit would fill them and they were enabled to face whatever was before them. But in the final analysis, we have to realize that the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the giftings of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit are not for ourselves. It says in James, you have not because you ask not. But sometimes you ask and do not receive because you ask with ill motives. Too often we come looking for something for God for ourselves. When in the final analysis, Christianity is not about you. It's about God and others. They are, that is the gifts and anointings and ablings, they are given to accomplish the mission of God to serve, love, love, Care for and build up others. It follows them scripturally and logically. That until you become concerned with the mission of God and the well being of others, then you, until that time, you've got no right to expect to experience the power of the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because that power and the anointing and the gifting and all those things that we've just spoken of are given to accomplish the mission of God. Supernatural enablings to meet the overwhelming needs of others. And as I said too often, Christians are narcissistic. They are self-absorbed. They are enamored with self. And because they never get out of self and into what God is into and into self-sacrificially serving others, they never experience the fullness of the Spirit. There's no need for the Holy Spirit to function in your life in the way that we've been speaking of if you're living a selfish life. It's when we get outside of ourselves and seek to meet the needs of others that we need a supernatural enabling. Amen? Amen? We've been talking about living the victorious Christian life and our study of Joshua. And we remember the previous generation before the Joshua generation, the Exodus generation, that they got to Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13 and 14 and they didn't enter into the land because their ideology was one of self-preservation. They should have been more concerned with the mission of God and the plan of God, which was to get them into that land for the well-being of God's people. But those individual spies at one end were more concerned with self-preservation so they missed out on the fullness of what God had for them as compared to the Joshua generation. They got in touch with the mission of God, what God wanted to accomplish, that is the taking of Canaan for the better of his people. They got in touch with that and then they experience the fullness of God and victorious Christian living, as we might say. Too many Christians are concerned with self-preservation and so they're not living victorious Christian living. They don't have the fullness because they are selfish. So when we get out of ourselves and into others, when we give sacrificially, when we be concerned with God's program and God's mission and God's heart, like these wonderful girls that are going to South America to minister, then we will experience the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the final thing we need to talk about is then just how to receive the Holy Spirit. Three very quick points. Take me three minutes. Number one, every Christian already has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. That's very clear. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a pledge or a down payment. Okay, when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit in you. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 22, Jesus came to the disciples, breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was then in them. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit residing in them. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit in you. <laughs> You're not born again unless the Holy Spirit enters you. But all Christians need to have the Spirit come upon them. All Christians need to have the Spirit come upon them. In John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on them and they received the Spirit. But then after that, He said, wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. The Spirit was already in them, but the Spirit had not yet come upon them. And that's two different things. They had the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They had been converted, but He hadn't come upon them that they might be witnesses. And so then on the day of Pentecost, we're remembering today, the Holy Spirit was poured out and came upon the Christians. Now, sometimes, according to Scripture, that takes place at the moment of conversion. You're converted and the Holy Spirit is both given to indwell you, and by God's sovereignty, He comes upon you. We see that in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. The moment they believed, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues. But then other times, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody or a group of people after they've been a Christian for some time. We see that on the day of Pentecost. They were already Christians. The Holy Spirit was in them. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. We see that in Acts 8, 14 through 17. We see that in Acts 19, 1 through 6. People who were already Christians, but the Holy Spirit had not come upon them yet for power. And in those instances, what happened? The apostles came and laid hands on them and prayed for them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Sometimes there was a manifestation. They would prophesy or speak in tongues. Other times there was no manifestation. It's dependent upon God's sovereignty. What he wants to do with you for what he wants to accomplish through you. So all Christians have the Holy Spirit in them. Every Christian needs to have the Holy Spirit come upon them. It's called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. As spoken of in Acts 1. And then finally, all Christians need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see in the book of Acts that after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit first came upon them, that several times the Holy Spirit would fill them in the moment of need. Now, I don't know about you, but I have moments of need in my life just about every day. Sometimes a moment of need is just, hey, I'm coming home from work and I'm tired and weary and I got two kids that are going to jump all over me and a wife that's going to want my affection and attention. Holy Spirit, fill me. Other times it's in a moment of of tremendous temptation. God, fill me with your Spirit. Other times it's preaching before thousands. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, we see that there are subsequent fillings that are available to the Christian in the moment of need, when the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit comes upon you for whatever need is before you. So I'm finished now. And I ask you this, what is your need today? Some of you just need to get saved today. You need to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and He died on the cross for your sins and you need to call upon Him to save you today. That's an awesome thing. Don't be afraid to do that. Some of you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. How do you know? While your life is characterized by defeat more than it is victory. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who supplies us with power for Christian living. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will experience Victory and you will be uh, experiencing an ability to be a witness for the Lord. And some of you, you just need a filling today. Some of you, you don't know what you need. But God knows what you need. God knows what you need. And Jesus said this in Luke 11, I say to you, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You're not going to give him a snake. Or if your son asks you for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. But if you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You might not know what you need this morning. Your father knows. And all you need to do is ask. Sometimes it requires a little seeking. Sometimes a little knocking. And this is your day to do it. We're going to come before the Lord now as we begin musical worship, and we're going to sing a prayer that the Holy Spirit would come upon us. And you sing and you pray in your heart to God. Whatever your need is, theologically, I may have done nothing but confuse you for the last fifty-four minutes. God's not confused to say, "Hey, God, this guy he messed me all up," but you know what I have need of. I'm not even sure, but God. I want everything you have for me. There's a prayer. I want everything you have for me. Nothing more and nothing less. Everything. And I'm telling you, ask and seek and knock and press into the Lord. And I believe He wants to pour out His Spirit. Father, we thank You for that wonderful promise of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that You'd send the Spirit now. We are people who are in need. Some of us need the Holy Spirit to help us to relate to you, Father. We're just messed up in that. To just help us to receive your love. Some of us need to be reassured in our position before you that we are accepted, having been adopted, that we are adored by you. Others, we, we, we just need an empowering to be witnesses. Whatever it is, You, Father, know. And so would you please send the Holy Spirit now? Would you send the Holy Spirit, Father? Some here need to get saved, that they would call upon you as the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That they be born again. That they be given the Spirit. Some need to be baptized. You know who it is, Lord. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon them today, that they would receive power to be your witnesses. Some need a filling. You know, Lord. Saints, let's make this our prayer. Let's ask, let's seek, let's knock. Don't leave the house of the Lord today until you receive all that he has for you. Wrestle with the Lord if need be. Call upon the Lord.